Have you ever wondered to yourself if you should leave or quit something? Maybe you want to leave your job, or quit your degree, or do you even want to leave your own home? The thing is, we all leave things, often not knowing if it was the right decision or not. This podcast talks to people who have made the decision to leave, and each of them have their own unique story, both challenges and triumphs. Some left to try different things, others even return to where they were originally left from. My name is Braden Green, and I left university to pursue my radio and podcasting dream. And this is Leavers. Jessica Wolfendale is a high-achieving student from Trinity College in Adelaide's northern suburbs. Here, she would become the college captain in 2015 and would develop a love for the performing arts industry. With this passion, she would go on to perform in many plays, musicals and theatre productions and strengthen her performing skills. After leaving high school, Jess enrolled at the University of South Australia in 2016, studying a Bachelor of Arts majoring in Performing Arts in English and Creative Writing. But as she entered her second year of studies, Jessica began to have doubts. Today, we find out more about those doubts and what she ended up doing and where it has landed her today. Welcome, Jess, and thanks for joining us on the Leavers podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I want to start off on that 2016 year. You've joined UniSA, you're studying the art form that you absolutely love, but by the end of your second year of studying, things really changed. So as we always start off in here, why did you leave your degree, Jess? Well, uh, it's a little bit complicated, but the simple answer is I got married. I was uh, planning, always planning to get uh, married soon into my degree and it got to the point where we were both studying. One of us had to at least go to part-time. Uh, I was the one who decided to do that. I couldn't really see a future for me in the arts just because I didn't have a clear vision of where I was going. Uh, As a lot of people do, I started Bachelor of Arts just to get into uni and figure out what I was doing later on. Uh, And then, yeah, got married, uh, stopped uni so I could get a job and support the household. How hard was that decision? That must be an incredibly hard decision, not only for you, but your husband. Now, your husband is Evan. Yes, that's right. So how hard was that between you and Evan like to make that decision? How did it really come down to you making that choice? Honestly, I kind of volunteered it. Uh, He was definitely in a more stable position at that point of uh, where he was going. He just started a Bachelor of Physiotherapy and we knew that that would be a stable job choice. Uh, I was at the point where I was uh, working administration and I was really enjoying it and I said, well, I can probably do this for the rest of my life if I have to. At that point, I was pretty... Uh, happy with sort of wandering around jobs until I found what I fit in and uh, maybe coming back and studying part-time. I always had the idea in my head of astrophysics. So that's how we ended up. All right. So let's we'll take a few steps back before we get into the astrophysics. Was there ever a point that you thought, hey, Evan, you need to step up to the plate here. I like want to follow my dreams as well. Was was that ever a consideration? Not really. Uh, He offered, of course, like he was like, if you want to study, I can come part time. And we sort of came to the agreement that I said, look, I'm in a less stable position of uh, knowing what I want to do. So let's do it that you uh, do full time uni. I'll do no uni. Then once you finish your degree, if I want to go back to uni, you can work full time and I'll do full time uni. It's such an interesting problem that a lot of university students have, I think, is that 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 balance between study and work would what would your recommendations be for people out there I mean just a quick one really because it, it can be hard balancing do you recommend people having a job at the same time are you one of those people who say no just focus on your study because we always get a, a, a mix of opinions what, what's your 
Definitely. I think it really depends on your situation. But if you are in a position where you can study full time, I would definitely recommend it. I feel like there's a lot of courses that really require your full attention. But again, if you're working on uh, if you're if you have to work, definitely we can make that work. But I think you should definitely consider studying part time if you're going to be working. On that part when we come up, so we've come up basically to the part where you've said, okay, I've decided to leave. Now in the performing arts industry, especially, it was a lot of people would enter it hoping to get into a teaching degree straight after. Did, did, did that ever cross your mind and stuff like that? Initially, I, from when I was in reception, I always wanted to be a teacher all the way up until year 12. And then I did year 13 and I was in a semi-teaching role as college captain and I didn't enjoy it. And so by the time I entered uni, I went, nope, no matter what, I'm definitely not going to be a teacher, which put me in a bit of an awkward position because I then didn't know what was not teaching in my life. Well, let's 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 explain that for like, year 13. Year 13 is something was pretty exclusive to your high school at the time. Can you yeah. explain what that really was? So, yeah, it was basically uh, semi-year 13 in terms of I had to do one or two subjects but otherwise I was in administration position. I ran the prefects at the school. I There was four different campuses of the college, so I was present at all of them. I was making speeches. I was organising formal um, speech days, basically just being head representative for the school as a student. Is, is that really needed today? I mean, I know that is a hard question and it sounds like we're really attacking the school, but I, I find that really interesting that the school couldn't do it themselves almost in that position. I mean, I understand that the college captain has a role to play and they have to really, you know, be the voice of the school. But I find it very interesting how you had to almost lead all the prefects. Because when I went to high school, basically it was a teacher's decision of what how each house would do it. And I'm sure other schools would be the same. But what's your opinion on that? Yeah, definitely. It's something that they're not doing anymore in the same way. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so I probably had something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so basically um, it had been sort of amping down for a little while. Initially when they started it, I think it was a very good role to have and it was something that really benefited the student doing it because it was something that um, did at that point in time look good on the resume and really helped people get into that sort of um, managerial role. However, as we sort of come into today's world where people don't really look at that kind of thing on your resume uh, and it dropped back from being two people to being just one person and now they've sort of integrated it into multiple roles but in year 12. So I understand why they did it in terms of they didn't want to put the pressure on people in year 12 because there's so much pressure already on you. Uh, So they took that pressure off by giving you a year 13 where you weren't doing as many subjects and you could focus solely on this role. I think it's not something that was necessarily needed in full capacity and I think they've now uh, sort of integrated it a lot better. Interesting, interesting. Um, so on that, what really, what was the part that scared you most away from being a teacher? Because we talk about that year 13 and you, you really didn't like it and you might, we, we get into uni now when you're like, there is no way I'm being a teacher. What was that one thing? Yeah, so that's a bit of an interesting one. I won't go into too many details, but basically there was a degree of uh, bullying in the position, uh, which, you know, you get as a student, you get as a teacher, and that's when I really realised that just because you're a teacher, it doesn't mean that the students have to respect you. And if you get bad students, then you get bad students, and there's really nothing you can do in that situation. And it was a little bit more difficult in the situation I was in simply because I didn't have 
I had the responsibility of a teacher, but I didn't have the power of a teacher. Uh, so I wasn't able to do anything as a student. I wasn't able to do anything as a teacher. And so I sort of had to just grin and bear it. And that was the uh, sort of end of my love of uh, children for me. Could the school have done better in that situation? I look at that and I, I read this as a situation. It's obviously very difficult. You're, you're basically a, a half a student, half a teacher, but you haven't got really the the the, the critical parts of being a teacher. You, I wouldn't – it would be – is it fair for me to assume that you couldn't punish kids, I imagine, or anything like that? So, you know, what was, how did you deal with that? And do you think the school could have done better for you? I feel like the school could have done better if I'd given them the opportunity to. Uh, as the personality I sort of have, I'm um, quite an introvert and I don't love bringing up conflict. And my mindset at the time was, if I tell people about it, it's just going to get worse. And so, nope, I'll sit back and I'll let it happen and we'll just get through this year. I feel like if I'd told the school and I'd gone through the whole process, there would have been a lot more they could have done. But at that point, I'd sort of just given up. It's an, it's a, it's an interesting mindset to go and Thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, let's get let's get back into this decision of leaving. So you've, you've, you've gone into, so you went straight into admin work. Were there other avenues that you thought about? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I had uh, sort of the idea of studying uh, part-time online, which is where my uh, little remedial massage degree came in. Oh, remedial massage? Yeah, that didn't last very long simply because doing an online degree in a uh, physical study like remedial massage <laughs> didn't really last. It would have been in, would have been interesting doing exams for that one. Oh yeah, no, I had to fly over to Queensland a couple of times <laughs> where they were based to do my uh, practical exams, which is a little hard for someone living in Adelaide. Yeah, no, but my husband loved it because he got to come along and be the person <laughs> that got massaged. So, <laughs> wow, Evan, <laughs> uh, it was great. Um, okay, let's talk about that. I mean, because everyone was there ever a point? I suppose during that that, that first point, did you think I've got to go back? No, not necessarily. I was having a pretty good time. I was still a little bit concerned about what I was going to do with, you know, the rest of my life. Yeah. But at the same time, I was happy to sort of go with the flow and just be in a stable financial position. That was enough for me. In that, were you ever scared? Because I, it, it's interesting talking to uni students when they get out into essentially what is the real world, you know, and... um what people may not understand if you've not gone to uni that the uni culture the uni um facilities the, the, the it's it, it's its own world in academia and when you move into the real world it can be a bit of a shock how did you deal with that did you have a sense of culture shock is maybe a better question not necessarily of culture shock because i did i had my experience in the real world a little bit along the way and I was still in a position, I was in a very state, hmm, I wouldn't call it a stable job, but I was uh, getting consistent work uh, as a casual admin. Uh, and I was working with a very supportive um, company and it was really good in that sort of way. I, I don't really remember much of that time of my life, if I'm being honest. It went by pretty quickly. Went by pretty quickly. Was it, did you get, it, did it go by quickly because you were like, you were in like a, a rhythm essentially. Is it like that? Yeah, I think so. I think once you get out into the real world, it's a case of working your first nine to job is pretty scary because you suddenly go, I've just been doing the same thing every day for the past year. How am I doing it? Is it ever going to change? And I, my husband had the exact same thing, got out of uni and suddenly 
it's the same thing every day, not necessarily the same people or the same problems, but you're at work every single day. How do you, how do you cope with that change? What, what, what were your coping strategies really? Because some, I have noticed that some people either thrive in it or other people just kind of bomb, you know mm. what I mean? And, and it's scary. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Especially for people that have gone from high school straight into university or college or whatever it may be of higher education, it could be TAFE as well. It is such a change in their lives, as you were saying. So how did you cope? That's a very good question. <laughs> I got through it somehow. Uh, but I feel like having uh, hobbies on the side is very important. Um, I would always find something to do on the weekends. I suddenly became someone uh, instead of through high school, I wasn't much for uh, hanging out with people on the weekends. I always wanted my alone time, but going to work every single day, suddenly it was please, is anyone free on the weekend to hang out with me? Can we do something? Um, I also had a very good therapist that I was going to at the time. I felt like that helped a lot. Let's get into that a bit. If, 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 you're, if you would allow us, would you, when you went to a therapist, did you think to yourself, like, I, I definitely need help? Was there, or did someone force you into it? Because there's a lot of people that say they won't need help until a family member or someone close to them says, you need to see a therapist, let me go in with you. What drove you to make that decision? Did someone push you or was it your own? Mm, I don't think anyone pushed me into it. I think it was uh, a long time coming, something I'd probably needed to do for a while. And just eventually I actually found the will and the drive to get it done. Uh, years prior, I'd been to doctors saying, Hey, I think I really need to do counseling or something. And there are some doctors out there, unfortunately, that are like, no, no, it's just stress. It'll pass. And I did have a couple of those going through it, but eventually I went to enough that I found the right person that said, Oh yeah, if you say you need help, you need help. Let's go. Um, and yeah, I was very lucky, uh, to sort of get that and have a very supportive, uh, family around me, helping me to get that help. Do you get angry? Do you get angry at those doctors in that situation? Because it is it is a bit of a weird situation for someone to go basically, I need help. And for someone basically to say, no, nah, you don't need it. You yeah. Know I, mean? I feel like it's definitely uh, less of a situation nowadays. This was quite a number of years ago that I was trying to uh, get this help. And I was definitely frustrated because it doesn't, uh, it sort of made, makes you question yourself makes you think oh no maybe I am just overreacting I'm faking it now I've wasted everyone's time but that's not the case at all it never is if you think maybe if you think uh someone suggested it to me maybe I should if you've never been to a counselor go to a counselor I think everyone should why should everyone I don't think it's just for people who are having problems I think it's really good to check in with someone who can have a third party view on your life essentially and can come in and give you any suggestions you need or say, Hey, I think you're doing great at the moment. Um, here are some strategies you may not have thought of here. Maybe come back to me in you know, a year or two, or if you need some help. Well, that, that leads us nicely into our next point. So you've quit, you, you've gone out of your degree, you've done some admin work now, and then of all things going from performing arts to astrophysics. Jess, that's quite a career change. Just a little. <laughs> So uh, astrophysics was something from when I was in year 12 or 13, I'd thought this is something I really love. I love space. I love the idea of it. And I love the idea of research and exploring that. 
Uh, but I'd always also thought, I'm not smart enough for that. I don't have time for that. It's not going to happen. So I went into arts where I was more comfortable. And then I got to a point where I went, no, I would love to go back to study and I'd love to try this degree. I would like to see if it's something that's going to work for me. The worst it can be is something that's not going to work for me. Where'd that love of space come from? Because again, it, it is just so different to what we would say is your stereotypical performing arts, you know, lover, which is maybe a stereotype we need to break down when, when you think sure. about it. I mean, but I mean, but there's a lot, a lot of stereotypes we need to break down in that situation. So how do you get into that? Because they are two incredibly different fields, but I feel like they can actually work pretty well together sometimes. Very much like so. Like science in the entertainment industry. And it's it's basically the way I look at it. I've always looked at science can be expressed better through the ways of the entertainment industry and we can spread it to more people. What was your love for it to, you know, what, what really drove you like, this is why I love science? Definitely. I think it's a case of both of the fields have a degree of whimsy to them uh, and dreaming. And I feel like that's where the best scientists come from is people who can dream big and think the ideas that other people won't just through simple thought process And the best artists are people who can um, take the technical side of it and really explore why they're doing something and not just doing it. So I think it's something that works really, really well together. And we're seeing a lot more of it uh, in Adelaide Fringe, Adelaide Cabaret Festival. There's um, a lot of people doing this experimental theatre where they're really incorporating science and arts together. And I feel like that's uh, a little bit why I was into it. But also it was just sort of ingrained in me from the start you know, in school, you always have your kids who are obsessed with uh, Egyptian mythology or the Greeks or um, you have your space kids, you have a bit of everything. And I feel like I was a space kid. So is it fair to say you're a person who loves to discover things? Yeah, I reckon so. I, I've always loved finding new ways of doing things. Uh, I would have, I would love to say that I'm someone who invents new ways of doing things. Not necessarily. I'm still working on that. Um, but I'm definitely someone who likes finding new things and helping other people to discover new things in their fields. So let's go into this astrophysics degree. Now, this is probably a completely new world. How was, how was the first really like lesson? Do you remember going into it? Do you remember what it was like? Did you kind of go, this is the greatest thing ever? Or did you go, what am I doing here? Or- it was a bit of culture shock. Oh, there's the culture shock. It, it always comes in at some point. <laughs> there it was. Um, it was a different university. It was different people. It was back in first year. And it was also a number of years after I'd graduated. And the way I like to explain it is they changed maths on me. So... <laughs> wait, wait, hang on, hang on. We, I think we need a bit of explanation. They changed maths on They me. changed maths. So all the assumed knowledge uh, that they're getting from people who did year 12 maths uh, changed because they changed uh, the what happens in the subjects. They did a big change in SACE the year after I left. So like the curriculum. Exactly, the curriculum. So big change in curriculum uh, the year after I left and I came in a few years later and went, uh, even the assumed knowledge for the catch-up courses isn't anything I know. Wow. Um, and I was trying to work at the same time, so I was sort of sneaking a little bit of maths homework in while I was while there was no one at the desk. And it was very, very difficult. Um, I loved half of the subjects, and those half of the subjects were the experimental ones and the research ones. 
Uh, I managed to make it into the advanced course because of my ATAR and it meant that I could do a lot of uh, research courses and those were the ones that I really loved where I could sort of um, talk with other people, work through things and uh, look at those more whimsical sides of things and then there was the math. Did you ever think during that point, I need to go back to performing arts? Look especially during that culture shock period? Not necessarily back to performing arts, but at some point I went, I need to get out of here. I am <laughs> <laughs> It was just get out. <laughs> I am so out of my element. Uh, I'm just embarrassing myself and wasting everyone's time. That wasn't necessarily what it was, but uh, I did not get through the whole semester. I, yeah. Nope, I left before I finished my subjects. So, and this is what I love about the Leavers podcast, the, it ends up what we think is one big decision. We get a lot of little decisions yeah. into this. So let's go into that. You know, you, you you have no idea. You just run and get out. What was the moment where you got your running shoes on, essentially? <laughs> <laughs> it got to a point where uh, I think I was coming up to uh, some of the first big tests of the semester. And I looked at, you know, the five tests I had coming up in the next three weeks and I went, I haven't studied for one of them. <laughs> I have no idea what any of this course material is talking about. I'm looking at the sort of subject headings for what they're going to test us on. And I went, I know one of those words. And that's sort of when I went, mm, 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 not going to happen. Um, how'd you, how'd you cope through that period? Again, it, it comes, it almost comes down to coping mechanisms through that time. Obviously you made the decision to leave, but there was a period I'm guessing where you you tried to keep going. Yeah, exactly. It was really uh, this point where I was like, no, I've uh, decided to do this thing. I've got to stick through it for the semester. It's now past the point where I can uh, not pay for the semester. I need to get my money's worth. On that, how big is that a decision on that? I mean, because it, it, I feel like the, the money is always such a pressure on the... Now, a lot of people argue, oh, it's in your hexter anyway. You don't really see it. it it's not... It, a lot of people have even said... It's not real, you know. You <laughs> it know. That's, feel a, that's real. just opinion of people, you know. That's not like the majority of people, but that is a common thread we can sometimes hear. So, how much of a factor did that play? Yeah, I totally get that. It does not feel real at all uh, until you start to have to pay it back. Um, but yeah, it's sort of this weird concept where it's like, yeah, all this money's coming from somewhere. I guess it'll affect future me. Uh, it was definitely a factor. I wouldn't say it was the biggest factor. It was the biggest thing stopping me from leaving at the beginning was that and almost a sense of pride of, no, I've decided to do this. Uh, so many people were supporting me along this journey. I'm going to disappoint them. And in the end, it came down to, am I happy doing this? Do I think I'm going to get happy doing this? And the answer was, no, not really. I don't think this is going to be a journey that I can take Right now, it might be something in the future. I've not discounted it completely, but I went, maybe I will stick to looking and reading about the stars rather than plotting out their math. Did you feel like a, a weight was lifted off your shoulders when you, you made that? Yeah, it was a slow process of uh, accepting it and accepting my own decision, but I had a really good support system around me that sort of said, if you're not happy, then you're not happy. You need to stop. And I went, yeah, you know what I do. This is okay. And yeah. What Evan think about it at this point? Because I mean, this is the second degree that we're now leaving and the husband is such an important role in your life. I imagine so. But you know, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what was his thoughts? He is the most supportive man in the world. Uh, he was 
really came and he was one of those people that helped me make that decision of are you happy if you're not happy then stop doing it and it's not something that has to stop you in future he's always going to be there and um he'll be there for me more potentially when he's not studying full time and um yeah he was really someone to fall back on and sort of say hey third party opinion am I just stressed or is this bad and uh yeah it was bad how important is that relationship to have with someone? Now, it doesn't have to be a husband, doesn't have to be a wife. It, it doesn't have to be that, that married or the girlfriend or the boyfriend situation. How important is it to have that strong relationship with someone close to you in these situations? Do you think you would have, do you think you would have been able to make these decisions on your own? I guess is another good point. I think I would have struggled a lot more. And I always think that, and it's not necessarily just my husband, it's my family. And I'm not necessarily talking about, uh, you know, the people that raised me or um, blood family, but it's the found family that you get that really strong support network around you. And I've really solidified that over the past three years. And that has helped my life so much because it's just people you can share with honestly and openly and they can come back and say, hey, you're being an idiot or, hey, you're doing really good and we're going to help you no matter what. Are those found family like friends? Are they like in Bit of everything, bit of everything. So I've got um, my husband, I've got his brother, uh, I've got friends um, and we've just got this little tight-knit family that's worked out really well. That's good. It's really good to hear. All right, so we've gone from that, we've gone, now we've gone basically from performing arts to astrophysics. What happens next? Because do we, do we go back to uni? Do we go into more admin? Is there another massage degree in there somewhere? <laughs> What's next for Jess? Because we've had a pretty pretty roller coaster ride so far. So at that point, I was thinking, nope, I'm just going to go back to admin work. We'll just focus on that. Uh, and then I get a letter from the uni saying, hey, you deferred your performing arts degree. Uh, you need to start again in February. I went, oh, yeah. So let's get a show. Did you actually withdraw or did you accidentally refer? No, no, I potentially just deferred. I'm not sure why. I definitely made that decision consciously. (laughs) In retrospect, no idea why. But um, I deferred it instead because I went, ah, it'll be a lot easier to get back into the course if I ever decide that. And I sort of had that backup. But I never hadn't thought about it until I got that letter saying, hey, you need to enroll. And I went, no, I don't. Maybe I should just leave it. Wait. Maybe, maybe I should get my piece of paper from somewhere. I've only got a year and a half to go. If I do it part-time, it'll be a bit longer. And at least I'll have that piece of paper saying, hey, you did some work. That's, that's, that's a real sliding door moment, mm. isn't it? That, it was just a piece of mail yep. that essentially got you into it. So let's get into this point. Now, you're, you're back at UniSA. It was, you're probably surprised yourself, really, yes. into this point by the sound of it. So let's head into these last couple of years. So what were you, so let, let's start off. What were you studying first when you were first there and what did you need to finish coming into it? So the first couple of years, what were you looking yeah, at? Yeah, so I'd done uh, most of my, what I would call generic subjects. So I'd done, um, you know, the starting ones. I'd done the, oh, you know, this is your acting course. This is your music course. And really I had more of the nitty gritty uh, performance subjects. We had digital performance. We had live performance production. I had a couple of film and TV things to do and it was uh, those bigger projects that sort of excited me into doing it because I went, hey, I've got digital performance. I've heard great things about this. You get to basically choose a project and do whatever you want. I've got an idea, so let's do this subject. 
What was that idea? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're about to get a ripper. Oh, man. It's sad to say now, but um, I had an idea for a goth rock opera about the life of Mary Shelley. (laughs) (laughs) And I planned it out and I was so excited. I was like, all I need to do is find someone willing to help me put it on. Uh, I can find actors. I found a director. Uh, I did not find someone to do the music and that's where it kind of fell apart. Uh, you need someone to write music in an opera and I found nobody. So we got about halfway into the semester and I went, well, maybe I can write a melody line and lyrics and then someone can write the orchestration. And then I didn't find anyone to do the orchestration. So I wrote the orchestration, not knowing how to read music, never mind write it. (laughs) So it was a bit of uh, chaos, uh, ironically, considering the show was called Out of Chaos. And it was uh, something that happened and it was a good learning experience. Well, let's delve into that because this is obviously, this project meant a lot to you at the time, I would dare say. But I think not finding this person that could help you out was that actually a blessing in disguise? Because it forced you to to learn these things, wouldn't it? For sure. And uh, spoiler alert, I'm now working in opera, so learning to read operatic music through writing it worked out real well. I, we'll definitely get into that <laughs> later. But let's get to this point. Let's get to this point where I've got to learn something completely. It's almost like astrophysics again in this yeah, case. Yeah, a bit of that. Um, but, yeah, it was a case of I was uh, working at the same time, which was almost a good thing because it meant I was pretty much doing only that and one other subject. And the one other subject was music, uh, something to do with music. I can't remember which one. Actually. There was that much concentration on the oh, show. Look. And uh, I was very lucky because I had a great uh, tutor who said, hey, if you want to work on your music for the other class in this class, I can basically half grade you on that. And I went, great, love that. Who's that tutor? We should give him a that shout That was out. Phil. Love, uh, love me some Philip Van Hout. He was fantastic. And uh, he got in uh, one of my favorite tutors in the world, uh, Nat Texler, and she helped me write this music. She was very uh, fed up with me uh, a couple of minutes in because she went, you're a singer, aren't you? Because all of this is just melody line repeated over and over. (laughs) So on that, on this performance, really, you had to learn how to manage them. I'm correct, like manage people in these situations because you were talking about how you needed actors, you needed you needed a director yeah. and stuff. So, so are you an executive producer at this point, I basically? I came into it with a mind of being the production manager. Yeah, even um, though it is your own idea. Exactly. So the idea was that I would write the script, which I'd done before the class started because I already knew exactly what was going to happen. I would hand it off to the director and have nothing more to do with the script itself. I would then just people manage and get, the product make the production happen that's not what happened but that was the idea can i quickly talk about it's probably a a bit off task how is that relationship when you write a script and then you give it to a director yes you've hired that director but that must be hard seeing them do their own thing (laughs) it's something you've really got to learn as a script writer and script writing is not necessarily something that uh i do Uh, primarily, but it's something that I've definitely done a lot in the past. And that's one of the big things that if you're going to write work professionally or for someone to perform, you've got to let it go. If you're going to sell your work, you have nothing to do with it after it's on that page. A A director can come in and butcher your work and you've got to live with that. 
So it was really something that I knew exactly what I was doing from the top. And I had to be very uh, playing with the director about it saying, hey, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. I don't want you to be thinking what I'm going to think about the script. I want you to do, look at the words on the page and see what you get from it. How, how difficult is that? Like, because you, you talk about like, you need to let it go. So personally, what, was there ever a moment where I can't do this? Is, is there, <laughs> is there that point again? Or is there a point that you just wanted to take over? How did you go? Luckily, I'd made the decision from the very beginning that I knew there was going to be some moments where I went, oh, that's not what I meant at all or something like that. Uh, And I knew those moments were going to come. So in the very few moments that it did, I was able to say, hey, say la vie, this is what she's got from it. But it's something very difficult to do the first couple of times is to look at it and go, oh, no, that's not what I meant by those words at all. Why are you saying it sarcastically? This was supposed to be a tender moment. And I think it's something that's uh, really helpful as a writer because you can come back and go, all right, how can I change how I write things so that people get the right idea? And it's, I think it's something uh, script writers definitely need to do is work with the director that's going to look at it and say, well, that's not what I got from this at all. How did the performance go in the end? It was surprisingly mediocre in terms of... <laughs> that is brutal honesty. <laughs> I thought it was going to be terrible and it was mediocre, which was amazing for me. Um, <laughs> we, such a student thing to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was mediocre and I was so proud of it. <laughs> That's one of the you saddest know, things I've ever heard. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, No, it was something that uh, we scaled back to a point where we could do it. It started off as, nope, we're going to perform like a whole musical. And then it was, nope, it's going to be sort of a concerted version. And we ended up with something kind of in the middle where we had little bits of songs and little bits of dialogue from all over the show. And we had a kind of set and we had kind of musical orchestration and we kind of had rehearsals. So it was something that considering... Uh, the time and the resources we had to work with ended up pretty good. But I say, is it fair to say, I should say, that it's probably a really a preview of what it could be? Oh, for sure. And it's something that uh, at the time I said, yep, okay, I now know what bits of it worked and what didn't, and maybe I can come back to this one day, but I need to let the project sit and forget about it for a while because this was a big thing that happened and I need to just... Let it sit in the back of my mind. Before we move on to the next week, will that show ever see the light of day again? Because I, it's interesting talking to people. Some people was like, I never want to see that again. <laughs> I wanted to, you know, slowly fade away into the distance. But I, I feel like there's a part of you that wants it to come back and you want to do it well. Am I right on that? My answer would have been different a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, a week ago, I had an idea for a restructure and now it's maybe coming to the forefront of my mind again. I thought that might be the case. I I feel like you're the person that can't, you let it go to a point, but once you have the idea, you've got to work on it. I still think it's a good idea. I think it wasn't executed great but I think that's a swipe at the director <laughs> no no I mean my side of things I did the writing that organization it was horrid um but uh I think it's something that it's 
a generally good meta idea and it could be something that would be interesting. Well, it'll be good to see in the future. I, I really look forward to it. Me too. Let's get into that next week. So you finished this project, you've, you've done your big projects. Let's get into the now when, well, you were talking about it before. Let's reveal it really. So you are currently the... No, A. (laughs) A stage manager, uh, assistant stage manager at the moment with State Opera South Australia. Now, let's not, like, let's really make this clear to people. That is an incredibly good role to have at your age. You're only, can we we show your age on? If I can remember my own age, maybe. Uh, (laughs) 24. So you're an assistant stage manager at the age of 24. There are not many people in the state that can do that, I dare say not many people around Australia are really in that at that point. How did you get into that? So it was something that uh, I started exploring during uh, one of the big production years. Uh, I was a production manager and then I started... Actually, let me take it back a little bit. Yeah, go, go. Uh, Year 12 drama. Whoa, we're my, going back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Year 12 drama. My teacher uh, wanted me to be the stage manager for the Year 12 production. At that point, I wanted to be an actor, but she said, you're the only person I can trust to do this role. I really need some help. So I went, okay. And I did that and I had to do a lot of research for it because it was, you know, big, safe subject. And uh, that was the first thing I stage managed. And then after... Fast forward many years through uni, I went, oh, yeah, I could probably do a little bit of stage management. I did a couple of amateur productions and then I got to my final year of uni and I went, maybe I can be a real life stage manager who does real things. Uh, We had State Theatre come in and do a masterclass with us for two weeks. I talked to a couple of their stage managers and they said, hey, we've got some secondments available coming up. Uh, Contact me. So I did. I managed to organise it through the uni that I did a secondment with them. Uh, I talked with a friend of mine who happened to be a stage manager with State Opera and she said, yeah, you should definitely come do us a comment with us. I went, oh, I don't have any uni credits left to do that with. Uh, do you think your production manager would be okay if I paid for my own insurance and came, came and did that? We talked it over with him and he said, yeah, as long as you've got the insurance, sounds fine. Paid for my insurance, did a secondment with them. And uh, they apparently liked me because I'm back uh, on contract with them. So there's, there's a lot to unpack in that. I mean, there's the network opportunities. There's the bravery to pay for your own insurance. Not a lot of people would do that at that age. That's a crazy brave decision, that one. And then just having the guts to do it, you're learning. You're almost learning on the job a, a little bit as well. 100%. In a, in, a, in a professional environment. So let's start off with, with networking. We hear about networking so much, especially at a young age, in all levels of education. So you know it's not what you know. So how much of that is true? For me, 100% true. I didn't study stage management. I'd only done my own research and just came in with a can-do attitude and a little bit of knowledge about the general world of theatre and uh, learnt from there 100% on the job. Um, it's, I, it's only thanks to the stage managers at State Theatre and State Opera who have trained me through those two secondments that I've done that I'm able to work in the industry at all. We should really clarify this is South Australia State Opera. Yes, correct. <laughs> correct. Uh, and, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And it's 100% been learning on the job for me. What's your biggest networking tips for people? Uh, make good friends. Make yourself open to any and all opportunities. 
Uh, I've had a lot of people come up to me, ask, hey, would you do mech work? Would you do um, operations work? Would you do this? And I said, yep, I'll do absolutely anything. Just point me in the right direction. And I think making good friends and not even necessarily knowing exactly what you need to do, but thinking one step ahead. So when someone turns around and says, hey, we need this, you say, yep, done it. In your opinion, what are some things to avoid when networking? Hmm. Burning bridges, obviously, there are going to be a lot of people you don't like and who you think, oh, man, they're useless at their job. I'd never want to work for them. Uh, put on a brave face and say, no, oh, I love working with you. So fantastic until you've at least got yourself established in that world. Um, but also don't oversell yourself. Don't. Um, overcommit yourself. Do you ever burn a bridge? Not yet. <laughs> Do you think you will? Uh, I'm sure it'll come up. The arts is a uh, very volatile business and there are a lot of big personalities in it. Uh, I'm very much a people pleaser, so I try to, um, I guess, put my best foot forward with everybody. I find it very hard to dislike people, so I think that's a very good boon for me to have. Um, but uh, I'm sure, you know, there is just going to be some people in the industry who don't like you, and that's okay. Let's talk about the insurance. That is, as I said, it's an incredibly brave move. How does how did you even get to that point? How did you go about it? What did you do? Who did you see? Who did you talk to? Talk yeah. us through that process. So it was really blind luck at the beginning, which uh, is story of my life, really. Uh it was, yeah, just that one uh, state theatre stage manager saying, hey, we happen to not have any secondments from AC Arts booked for the rest of this year. Email me. And uh, there was three of us in that room. I was the only one who emailed her and she said, yeah, sure. Just talk to your um, uni. I'll talk to my production manager. We'll get you on this project. And I went on the project. And then it's literally just been a bunch of that people really appreciate when you take the initiative and not wait for an opportunity to come your way to personally call them to do cold calls to uh, make yourself available for any and every opportunity uh, even when you're not like me necessarily have the background knowledge to do such things uh, just coming forward confidently and uh, with a mindset of yeah I can do this sure how do you build your confidence to go anything because cold calling is not a nice no. No, <laughs> I'm terrible with calls of any kind. I get major phone anxiety, uh, but that's I. That's how I got my first ever job just in admin was I did a uh, cold email. I said, hey, if you happen to have any opportunities, they did. I got hired. Um, and everyone I've talked to in the industry has always been like, yep, those are the people that we immediately think, yes, you're going to be great. If they just call up, you've really just got to, if you need to sit down and write a script for yourself and rehearse it for days until you finally just pick up the call and do it, that is fine. As long as you get there and you can do it, or if you find ways, even cold call emails are okay. Like find a level that's comfortable for you and make it work. Let's get into this, like where you are now, really. Out of 10, how happy you are being this assistant stage manager. I mean, I think I think you're being really kind here. I think you've really moved into the stage manager role sometimes with some of the work that you have done. Let's just, before we, yeah, let, let's first work out how happy are you out of 10 doing this role? I'm 
real happy. I'm a pretty 10 out of 10 at the moment. Pretty 10 out of 10. Let's go through some of this. There's been quite a lot of work. Let's let's name some of the work that you've done in stage managing. Uh, professional world. Let's uh, go professional. Yeah. So um, <laughs> not so much yet, uh, but I've done a little bit of uh, sort of freelance work. I worked on uh, 2020 Fringe, which just got through that uh, with uh, the hipsters. I um, did 2021 Fringe with a beautiful lady called Andy Snelling uh, with her work Happy Go Wrong. Uh, that was an incredible experience for me. Uh, I've worked a little bit in production management with uh, Channel 44 with a uh, show they've got coming out uh, pretty soon. Uh, and then, yeah, I've done a secondment with State Theatre on Dance Nation in 2020. I did a secondment uh, Summer of the 17th Dole with uh, State Opera South Australia. And I've just completed my first professional show with a company uh, with Sweeney Todd 2021. Oh, oh, there's still a fair bit of work in there. I loved how you would have it. Oh, I haven't done that much. Oh, there's this, there's this, there's this. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's also that one. I, I really like that. Sneaks up on you. It is great to see you, how happy you are from this decision because it sounds like you definitely had some challenges. You've been able to overcome it and it all comes down really to that decision to leave. There's a bit of it to also come back to it. Mm. But what does it come down to you? Where... Why do you think you are where you are now? What was the ultimate decision? I think I just followed the opportunities as they came up. I didn't overthink necessarily. Once I stopped worrying about where am I going to be in 10 years, 20 years, once I started thinking where am I right now and where am I going to be in six months? Am I going to be happy? Am I going to be relatively financially stable? Um am I going to be still surrounded by people that I love? That's when it really sort of worked for me. And I just kept following those little opportunities that came up and uh, worked with the right people, found the right uh, avenues and got a little bit lucky. Okay, let's end it on the last three questions. I love asking this ones. Leaving, would you do it again? Would you ever leave your degree again? Absolutely. What would you say to anyone that is considering leaving their degree? Uh, make a pros and cons list. Uh, make sure you know what's next for you before you leave, but not necessarily what's there for you in the long term, just what's going to keep you happy and safe and alive for the next year. Do you think you'll ever leave your current job? I think so one day. I don't think necessarily that I'm. this is a job that I can do until I retire. Uh, I think there's lots of things that I love doing and I don't think I'm necessarily going to confine myself to one role for the rest of my life. And the last one, will you have the, the bravery really to do it again or has this experience made you stronger, I guess is the better I think question. I've done it enough now. I've got the experience to uh, leave anything I would like to. Well done, Jess. You've done it. It's, it's an amazing career so far, and that's that's the crazy thing. We're talking about an amazing career that has grown so quickly, really, and it all comes down to the decision to leave things and just try different things, and even some of the new things that you tried that you left, and you gained different skills from almost all of them, and that's a real credit to you. So thank you for being on the Leavers podcast today. It's been such an honour to interview you. Thank you very much, Braden. I think if I had to sum up Jessica Wolfendale's story, it's one of bravery. Being brave enough to take opportunities when they present themselves, 
let alone create your own opportunities by just randomly emailing people, randomly calling people, creating, giving yourself the best chance to get hired in situations or just some experiences. It's really brave. It's, we can sometimes be scared of opportunities. I know I definitely can. And I hope this helps you get a little bit more courage in these situations just to try and take it. And speaking of courage, this was actually the very first episode of the Levers podcast. This is essentially the pilot um, just came on to the podcast when it was just a little idea I had from radio school. So I really want to thank Jess for her time. I got a lot out of it. I hope you did as well. And yeah, just it, it's good to show these little bits. Yes, I was a little bit nervous. You might have noticed when I was interviewing that one matter. Some questions might have sound the same. Even some of the editing I'm, I'm not too happy with. But I think it's important to show development. And I really thank Jess for coming on. It's, it's a big get. And it was just nice to start somewhere. And that's the biggest thing I think you can get from Jessica's story. Just start somewhere, be brave enough, and keep trying. That's all you can do. And forgive yourself if you fail. There's, there's no way. Sometimes we do fail and we learn from that. But forgive yourself and be brave. Uh, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the Levers Podcast. This was a Smashed Gnome production.